gives to Nick, open three, takes it, makes it, Nick Emery! Rolls it past the defender, gets into the 18, shoots it, near post, score! This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And now, here's Greg Rubel. Good evening once again, Cougar Nation. Welcome back inside Studio 2 at the BYU Broadcasting Building on the Brigham Young University campus in Provo, Utah for another edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. I am your host, Greg Grubel, and I thank you for tuning in either live on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, BYURadio.org, and the BYU Radio app, or on demand via our Behind the Mic podcast or even our Behind the Mic show page at BYURadio.org. We're with you live every Wednesday evening from 6 to 7 Mountain Time, visiting with BYU Cougars, past and present, current and former players, coaches, and administrators, people we Hope you'd like to get to know a little bit better through our longer-form interviews with uh, BYU football's season opener at Arizona. Just three days away now, we end our month of August with a football-centric show, as we have been for this entire month of August. Tonight, I'm visiting with BYU's defensive coordinator and defensive line coach, Elisa Tuiaki, and former BYU receiver and radio sideline reporter, Nate Mickle. Three days from today, uh, Nate's radio replacement will make his debut as we reintroduce former BYU receiver Mitchell Jurgens to Cougar Nation in his new role, the role Nate filled so well over nine seasons and two separate stints on the radio. But we open tonight's show by chatting with a coach now in his third season on the staff of head coach Kalani Satake, defensive coordinator and defensive line coach Elisa Tuiaki. And although Elisa's coaching connection with Kalani is already fairly deep, his personal association with the Satake family is even more profound, as we're about to learn. A player who once had hopes to suit up for BYU, Elisa Tuiaki played his college ball at Snow College and then Southern Utah. He then got immediately into teaching and coaching at the high school level, advancing to the FBS at Utah and Utah State, with a second stop at Utah, preceding a post at Oregon State, where he went with Kalani as both left the U for Corvallis. After a single season at Oregon State, Kalani Satake got the head coaching job at BYU, and his first defensive coordinator is our first guest on tonight's show, Coach Elisa Tuiaki. Thanks for joining me tonight behind the mic. Thanks for having me. Well, it seems like we can't talk uh, a lot about you without talking about Kalani Satake because uh, of all the coaches on the current staff, perhaps only Fessy uh, Satake can say he has closer ties. For our listeners, how far back do you and Kalani really go? Um, we, we were Both of our parents were, were at uh, TVA in Hawaii, going to BYU-Hawaii. Uh, TVA, you know, in that community, they know it's the Temple View Apartments. Um, and uh, my mom was actually babysitting him for for a little bit, and I don't think I was born yet. So that it, far, uh, we go we go way back. So it's yeah. a lifetime with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when did you realize this was going to be somebody with whom you were going to have a special relationship that could be a long lasting one? You know, when I he uh, he started coaching, I was still playing, and and uh, when I first had the opportunity to go to Southern Utah, um, going from Snow to Southern Utah. He was hired as the running backs coach, and so he was my coach. We had already known each other for a long time, been in the same, uh, you know, Tongan ward here, the Sunset 12 ward here in, in Utah County at the time. So we, we knew each other, but, uh, you know, I always knew I wanted to get into coaching. I never really thought that we'd coach together, but I always thought that it was really cool that he was my coach at that time. But long before you were colleagues that way, you were just buddies, right? Yeah, You're just- yeah lifelong friends yeah yep we were you know his his little brother tj is probably closer to me we're all um you know everybody kind of has their groups mm-hmm. and my, my older brother Leka, he and kalani served a mission together and they're they're a little bit closer uh, than we were uh growing up but uh, you know getting into coaching and playing all that stuff and then we we started to get a little closer you talk about having grown up uh down the street from lavelle edwards stadium but quite literally right yeah yeah i think they're called the wide apartments now Back then, we just called them the trailer courts, and so it was, uh, you know, a lot. A lot of our close friends, you know, uh, that, that that we knew back then. One of my best friends um, that I named my youngest baby after. He, he lived there at that time, and and uh, you know, we were we were always just here, right in the shadow of the stadium, and walking to games. Always remembering the the, the roars from the outsides, and walking over trying to get in after halftime and you know the ushers would let us in and we'd just walk in and stand there and see all these big players walking by it was it was really fun so what would be some tangible memories you have of those days of the kind of games and players you saw i i always remember them being humongous i mean they were big right everybody was always big and obviously when you're young everyone looks big but 
um, you know, as you, you start to grow up and learn a little bit more about BYU football, they were. I mean, everybody back then was was, was huge, and, and uh, they did a good job recruiting and the specific, specific type of guys they can get here, and, and I thought that uh, that's always kind of been a BYU thing, and I think that we're pretty close to getting to the, back to what it was before. You've played other sports, uh, but when did football come into a really full focus for you and become a central part of your life? You know, we, we moved back from the islands, and, and uh, I was uh, was I in fifth grade when we moved back from the islands, and I was kind of just involved with it, and then I first started playing football in uh, in L.A. So <clears throat> Reno Mahe and I were on the same Little League team, and Gennaro Guilford. We were all on the same Little League team in, in L.A. I don't, I'm not too many I didn't know you know. guys had that tie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, Gennaro I didn't really know about until we started to kind of talk about the same people that we knew and played with it back at that time, and this is when we first moved from the islands. But I know me and Reno are on the same team. We both remembered it because we knew each other and actually related. But then we started to make connections like, dude, Gennaro was on our team too, and that was, that was really <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, football, Pop Warner, I guess we'd say, mm-hmm. uh, Pop Warner level, uh, then ultimately Temp View for you, high school? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we started out in the Bay, so we were in L.A. for a little bit and then moving to the Bay Area where I started high school at Menlo Atherton, and then we ended up coming here and uh, went to Tint View sophomore through senior year. And uh, most most high school players are going both ways. Did you do the same, offense and defense, or did you specialize You know, I, I did go both ways, but I was like a, spe- a special blocker on the offense, and I blocked for T.J. Sitake. Um, he was a, he was a, he was he should have been blocking for me. You see how big he is. <laughs> yes, I was blocking for him and and uh, as a fullback, and he was the premier tailback at that time. Really good player, and had you know um, everybody looking at him as a player. And I, I I just played defense. I was a middle backer. Did you have aspirations to play for BYU? Oh man, who doesn't? You know, <laughs> I I it was uh, I I talk to a lot of recruits now especially kids that are LDS and kids that kind of grow up and want to come to BYU. And I, and I tell them the story all the time. It didn't matter back then for me if I would have had an offer to Alabama, USC, BYU. It didn't matter. I was coming to BYU if I had that opportunity. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of kids that that, that hear that pitch or, or at least, uh, you know, kind of can can feel exactly what I'm talking about, they, they know and they want to be a part of it. Did you come to the BYU camps? I did. <laughs> I did. We would we would come in and, and kind of sneak our our way in, go hide by the tree, and then when they blew the whistle and everybody ran onto the field, you know, me, Kalani, everybody else, we would all run onto the field and, and try to come be part of the camp and see if we can sneak ourselves in. Now, Kalani talks about how he had to go play high school in Missouri to ultimately get recruited to BYU. You had to hope you were in the mix, too, somehow. Yeah, you know, I, I was... Uh, everybody had those dreams, but I was a little bit more realistic, you know. I just uh, wasn't as good of a player. Um, as Kalani was Kalani was a phenomenal player and just a good, really big back at the time. And I was just happy to be playing ball. You went to snow. Right? I did. I did. Started I, off at snow. I did. I, I actually went on a mission, came back, and went to Ricks when it was still Ricks. Oh, a year of Ricks, then snow. Yep, a year of okay. Ricks, and then came to snow. Well, they would have been close. Were they close to to wrapping it up there at Ricks? They were. Yeah. They were, and that that's why I ended up leaving because I would have been I would have been uh, done with my freshman year and still had eligibility when the when the program was closed. So I just decided to leave then. So then it was Snow College, and yep. you're you're a running back at that point, right? I did. I yeah. came back and played played linebacker all my life growing up, and decided I want to try running back, and and uh, you know it just stuck. And then from Snow down to SUU, mm-hmm. running back again, where you said now you're on the same team with uh, with Kalani because he's now coaching, right? That's right. That's right. So Aaron Roderick was actually my running back coach at Snow, and then the very next year, Aaron Roderick got hired as the offensive coordinator. And Kalani Sitake got hired as the running backs coach, and so I knew both of them coming in. Now, you're known now by BYU fans for your work on the defensive side of the ball, but the offensive side of the ball is probably where you could say you, you, know, you talked about being a linebacker in high school, but the offensive side of the ball is where you did a lot of work as a player and, and a young coach, right? Yeah, that's that's where it was. I, I I thought I'd be on the offensive side the whole time, you know, as I first started. I, I came in as a graduate assistant on the defensive side, and that was really just to kind of get my foot in the door. Uh, you know Gary Anderson, Kalani, they're, they're up at Utah they're, they're now. Both, yeah. Up at Utah, working together, and so I came in as a grad assistant, working with the linebackers with Kalani. And my first official job was back with Gary Anderson at Utah State, coaching the running backs. But before that, Kearns High School, and after that, Utah State. It was it was offense. It was it was on offense. Yep, I was the offense coordinator at Kearns and coaching the receivers and and outside backers. What do you remember most about your Kearns High School days in the mid two thousands? You know, um, that was my. It was my dream to teach high school and coach football, and when I got there, 
I, I realized that it was really, really hard <laughs> and really difficult to teach, you know, sophomore English all day and then come and, and, and come and, uh, and uh, coach ball. And so, you know, I, I loved it. I loved my time there. I, th- I thought that it was a great experience for me to go through. Um, you were I, finally a cougar. I, <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. I was finally a current cougar. And, but uh, I've, I've got a lot of respect for teachers and just what they do is, is uh, I mean, it's they're literally changing, changing the world. What would have been your specialty in teaching? So I, I taught English. I taught sophomore English for two years and, and uh, coached ball on the side. How much did you like that? Coaching, I mean, I mean teaching English. I loved it. I loved it. Um, I, I mean, it's hard, right? And you get uh, at that at that time, Kearns High School started with sophomores, so with sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and and uh, you're getting the kids straight from the middle school or the junior high that are all kind of still figuring out life, figuring out if they want to be cool, you know, still cool, or <laughs> if they're they're down to get an education and kind of work hard at it. And so it was, it was. I thought that it was a, a pivotal moment for a lot of a lot of my students and. And uh, just them kind of going through what they were going through. Everybody was a little different. And, you know, Kearns is rough. Kearns is a rough area. And a lot of those kids were going through a lot of things. And, you know, sometimes you're sitting, preparing your lessons and getting ready to, you know, shove a book down the throat. And then you realize some of them don't have a place to sleep at night. And so, you know, you kind of kind of find a, a balancing act as you're trying to care about the kids but also still educate them. And, you know, it was really good for me as a person. How well do you think you were able to reach some of those kids that might have had it not as easy as others? You know, I, I hope. I hope I was able to reach some. Um, you know, I felt like I had a pretty good relationship with all my students. And um, you know, my, my classes seemed to always be always be more full than other classes I think <laughs> with, with the sophomore English classes because those were those were rough man I'll tell you what those <laughs> kids are funny you uh you mentioned uh getting to Utah as a grad assistant that kind of came between your Kearns and your Utah State days but you made it back up to uh you, you made it to Logan and and uh you're again on offense coaching running backs mm-hmm. you coached a guy that's still getting it done in the NFL in Robert Turpin yeah Turp Turp's still playing um you know Kerwin Williams is still playing too He's he's uh, so those two, I think is he still with Arizona? He's with uh, he had the he Chiefs was, now. He, he was just barely he was Arizona released. though, wasn't he? He was, yeah. he was with Arizona for, for I think four years, and he's with the Chiefs okay. now. Yeah, Andy Reid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he, you know, uh, Michael Smith, who's on our staff now, was one of the kids that I coached as well. One of the running backs. We had three really good running backs, and really we had a lot of running backs. But those three all played in the league, had stints in the league, and those two are still playing. Turbin and, and Kerwin Williams. Well, Mike Smith is with us now as so an analyst, I, right? As an analyst, and yeah. so I, I'll uh, I'll ask Mike how those guys are doing. He stays in touch with them a little bit more, and uh, but those those guys seem like they're doing well. Uh, included in your days at Utah State uh, were a memorable win over BYU in 2010. I remember that in part because uh, BYU made a coaching change like right after, like the next morning, they made a switch at defensive coordinator. Bronco took it back over, and that loss. You know, kind of spurred BYU on to the to kind of the, the finish they had. Uh, yeah. That was a, that was a pivotal game, probably for you guys and for BYU. It was, it was, it was a it was huge for us, huge for us. You know, obviously, you know, Utah State hadn't beat BYU in a long time and kind of been considered the the stepchild of the whole state. And for us to do that at that time was 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 huge for those kids in that program at that time. Time for a break. When we come back, uh, Coach Tuiaki's coaching career continues at the University of Utah, alongside Kalani Satake once again. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. We'll also get to his BYU days as well. We're brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. More with Coach Elisa Tuiaki next. Stay with us. This smart device gives all the right answers about Deseret First Visa Rewards Card. Hey, Des, do I still get rewards even though my Deseret First Visa has no fee? That's right. Can I use those rewards for new golf clubs? That's right. Des, if he uses those rewards for new golf clubs instead of our trip to Hawaii, will he be toast? That's right. Let's face it, when it comes to finances, the best smart device is the Deseret First Visa Rewards Card. That's right. Membership and eligibility required. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. 
And our conversation on Behind the Mic continues now with BYU defensive coordinator and defensive line coach Elisa Tuiaki. Before the break, uh, we had you coaching at Utah State, including a win over BYU in 2010. You made the move eventually from Logan back down to Salt Lake City, and you were still coaching the offense at this point when Kyle Whittingham hires you in uh, 2012. Yeah, I was uh, originally came in to coach the running backs because I'd been coaching running backs, and as I got there, uh, you know, some some of the staff was still kind of uh, moving around, and and so Jay Hill, uh, who's the head coach of Weaver State now, was actually stayed with the running backs and coaching special teams, and I took over the tight ends and the, and the fullbacks. Again, on the offensive side of the ball, and uh, you do get make it back to defense with the D line in uh, 2013 and 2014, where you had some good ones there on the hill, didn't you? Yeah, a lot of good players, you know, and that was a, a great learning experience for me and some of those young pups. We kind of learned together, you know, and and uh, it was it was it was good for me as a coach to have players that were like that, that were humble and hungry, and it was also I think good for them to to you know as I went through, I was there. Sometimes I would ask a question, I'd say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. Let me go and find out, and I'll and I'll get back to you. And so it was it was a good relationship as far as the room that I had and the growth that we were going through together. So how much did all of your work on the other side of the ball instruct you and help you in now your defensive responsibilities? It, it was uh, it was huge, you know. I, I think it was huge because now that on the defensive side, as you're looking at things, you know what a, an offense is trying to do. You know what an offense wants to do, and and uh, and some of the schemes and some of the weaknesses of the schemes and all that. And and uh, you know, I always kind of Galani was the same exact way, right? A running back that that switched over to the defensive side. And I think that uh, guys that have been through the offense that look back the other way always see it from an offensive perspective. And and uh, I, I still see it now like that. Kalani was D coordinator at Utah while you were his D-line coach, right? Yeah. So what two similar mindsets do you have, or how much did you have to adopt Kalani's philosophy when it came to what you want from a D-line specifically and a, and a defense in general? You know, I, I, uh, I feel like I adopted, um, you know, the philosophy, com- the philosophy completely. Um, I I came in really not knowing much, but uh, trying to do as much research as I as I could about finding out more. And it was a new change for me. And and uh, you know it was a uh, I, I think that the the circumstances that I was under to have a guy like Alani that was patient with me, that had a guy that knew what he wanted, that was kind of you know feeding me um, exactly how he wanted the D line to be fed. Um, was really good. I think it was thought it was a really good relationship between us and trying to get the message down to the D line. And, and I think the D line, uh, you know, there for years had been really, really good. And I, I inherited a young group that were really, t- really talented. And, and I think that it was just a, a special, special thing between us as far as just trying to figure it all out together. But Kalani was huge for me. What made Utah's D linemen who became pros so special? And what are the kinds of things you look for in a BYU defensive lineman, whether tackles or otherwise, that can help them get to the next level? Yeah, I think uh, the, the NFL, when you're talking about the NFL, um, a lot of it is just standards. You know, it's, uh, it's being a certain size you know a lot of the scouts that come in and they look at defensive linemen you know no matter where I've been at Utah or here uh, they come in and and they have their list of guys right this guy meets the standard that we're looking for our D-line guy doesn't want anybody that's 6'3 or 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 shorter Um, and so it, it really just about standards and what the NFL wants and so a lot of recruiting and a lot of things that we've done as far as just looking for specific guys it really is you know try to hit those standards and and develop them um, to where they need to be, and a lot of the guys that end up meet that you know coming in with those standards that have the height, uh, uh, we can put the weight on, and they start to figure out the game and play strong. And those guys, those are the type of guys that have a chance. How close are you and Kalani to assembling the kind of defensive line group that you feel you need to have uh, to get done what you want to get done here at BYU? You know, these these last two years, I felt like the D line was was uh, was good. You know, I thought that there were some good players in it. Um, we, we've all known that this year there's a lot of young pups that uh, haven't seen the field yet or kids that haven't completely developed that will have a chance to play this year. And I think that this year or this D-line crew can be special. I think that they're, um, you know, they, they meet the measurables that we're looking for. They're really tall all, all across the board, and they're really physical, and they're guys that have put in a lot of work in the, in the weight room. I left out your time in Corvallis, so I, we should probably recap a little bit um, the transition from, from Utah to OSU to BYU because it kind of came in pretty quick succession and you and Kalani were again together every time right yeah that's that's correct that's correct you know after we after the Vegas Bowl when we played Colorado State um, 
you know, Gary Anderson left Wisconsin and went down to Oregon State. And, and as you know, Gary Anderson and I have a, have a relationship because I, he was the head coach for the first year that I played when Aaron Roderick was down at Southern Utah. Yeah, down down at Southern Utah. And so, I always felt like uh, that first recruiting class that came in with Gary Anderson, we were all really really close. And uh, you know, I played for him then. And then when I ended up at Kearns, and and he and Kalani were both at Utah. I was able to come. I mean, you know, Kyle didn't know me when when I came in as a graduate assistant. It was kind of uh, him trusting Kalani and him trusting Gary to bring me in as a graduate assistant because there were tons of people that wanted that spot, and I just uh, happened to be back then. The, it was a little bit different as far as get, you had to be a graduate assistant who could get into school on your own, hmm. and uh, I, I I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time for that, and so. Um, we went to Utah. He, he gave me my first job, you know. And so when he left Wisconsin and came back and just said, hey, I'm going to Corvallis. You know, I understand if you want to stay, but I'd really like for you to come with me. Um, and I know the same exact thing was with Galani. To me, it was, it was it was almost like saying no to my football dad. You know, like, you want me there, I'll, I'm there, you know. And so it was really more of just uh, answering the call of a friend. Uh, we ended up leaving. I thought we left a really good team uh, that year at Utah. We a lot of things were going the right way, but uh, you know when Gary called, it was for us it was a no-brainer. And then maybe another no-brainer because you weren't in Corvallis long when the BYU situation presents itself. That was another no-brainer. <laughs> and Kalani, Kalani ended up getting the job here, and um, you know just uh, again I think fortunate to be be in the right place at the right time, just around the right right people. And and uh, Kalani said, "Hey, I'm, I'm I'm leaving. I got this this great opportunity. Love for you to come and." And I actually, I actually talked to Gary, you know, as I said, Gary, you know, this Colony's leaving and he's got this opportunity and I might have an opportunity also to move up. But Gary said, when you're, when your guy calls, you got to go. And it was easy for me after that. I mean, I had both mentors really uh, guiding me in the right way. Kalani had been your defensive coordinator and now he was trusting you to be that guy here at BYU. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm forever grateful that he, he did trust me to, to be put in the spot and he knew that, uh, it would it would be a good relationship. I'd try to try to make him happy and do what he wanted. You mentioned the word relationship, and so many coaches on this current staff seem to be linked to so many other coaches in this state. Uh, whether it's been to Southern Utah, to Utah, to Weber State, and BYU, there's a number of guys that have all kind of been in rooms over the last ten, fifteen years that somehow find themselves back in in the same uh, staff right now. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think that's cool, man. You know, the cool cool part of coaching where. Um, you never know, you know, I, I, we, we have our talk bef- before fall camp starts and I told all our graduate assistants as well as all our, our, uh, <clears throat> new analysts, you know, 10 years from now, one of us could be working for you as a head coach. And so we, we want to make sure that those relationships stay close. Okay. Uh, I mentioned other sports or uh, in the earlier segment, you've played other sports besides football. You've done other things in the athletic arena that aren't necessarily thought of as traditional sports. Where does ultimate fighting fit into your life history? <laughs> it was kind of something to do, you know, like midlife crisis, just done playing football, you know, and I was uh, I was still kind of playing rugby on the side, but those are, you know, that's just really a Saturday thing and um, you know, I my brother introduced me to to Sione uh, His he had an older brother who's bo- boxing, Samson Boho was uh who was uh, a professional boxer and I came in and kind of started boxing with them, but they they also trained in the same gym um that MMA was going on, you know, just a uh, the UCTC, the Ultimate Combat Training Center. And uh, I, I was just kind of curious, right? We got done training one day, boxing, and I looked out. I was like, what are those guys doing, right? They're wrestling or grappling, whatever they're doing. So so it's mixed martial arts you're seeing. It, I'm yeah. seeing mixed martial arts, and I was like, okay, I'm going to try it out. And I started to try it out, and I really started to like it. Um, and then I figured, just go fight, you know. If, go go try it out and, and – uh, and uh, see what happens. They were paying everybody fifty bucks to fight and a fifty dollar bonus for winning. And so I figured, shoot, man. Worst case scenario is I'm walking away with maybe a broken tooth and fifty bucks. I'm good with that. <laughs> you had a little family at this time, didn't you? I did. I did. Married, and I had four. Four at the time. Or my wife was pregnant with the fourth. So, so uh, the kids are probably too little to really know a lot about what dad's doing. What did your wife think when you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this out? You know, she, she was cool at first, but then she came to my first fight, and uh, she was pregnant. I mean, she was you know, seven, eight months, and so she was showing and everything. And uh, I remember feeling pretty confident, you know, walking to the ring, kind of bouncing off the ropes. And, and then I catch her eye in the crowd, and she looks terrified. 
And so then I get nervous. I was like, I told her when I went home, I was like, you, you got to stay away from now on or just go somewhere where I can't see you because you're scaring me just, just by the way that you look. But uh, we always have a good laugh about that. What was your fight name? Uh, Ogre Six. Back when I was in college, everybody was playing Halo. That was the that was the game, the popular game to play online. And the best two Halo players in the world were Ogre One and Ogre Two. They were twins. And uh, my football number was six. That was that was kind of my lucky number. So I was like, "Well, shoot, that's an easy one. I'm Ogre Six. <laughs> How many fights did you end up with when you called it good? And what was your record? I I ended up with six, uh, and I was five and one. I lost my last one. <sighs> You had to was, go out with I was a actually, loss? I was actually coaching at Utah State at that time. And uh, I always kind of look back at it and regret that I wasn't completely in it. My mind wasn't completely mm-hmm. in it. It was kind of like, let's see if we can get fit and lose weight this summer and try to take a fight just for fun. Um, and, you know, I wasn't physically or mentally ready, but I felt like I just wanted to jump in the ring one last time. <laughs> and you didn't feel like you had to do it one more time to finish with a win, right? You were okay with losing and, and gonna, calling it good. Well... I, I've been losing ever since then. My wife, I'm losing to my wife. I'm like 0-100 against her in any argument that we get into, so I've just kind of gotten used to it. <laughs> okay, I, I, said, I said small family, which wasn't too small at the time because you had three and, and on your way to four, and the family's gotten bigger since. Um, I always like at this point to, to have you know my guests uh, give credit to the people that uh, are in their, in their home with them, your wife, and, and if you could name all your kids for us, tell us where you are with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've, uh, my, my, wife's, my wife's awesome, and I think that, um, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't like the quote, but I'm going to quote it anyways. It, it's a quote that Kyle always said, Kyle Whittingham always said. He says, football wives, with football coaches, you either have great wives or ex-wives. And, and, and really, for me, it's the truth because I have, a, I have an awesome wife. Uh, her name is Viola. Her maiden name is, a Wolf, is Wolf Graham. And, uh, you know, she's, uh, she's been great for me, just uh, kind of letting me get out here and play with football while she, while she does all the heavy work at home. Um, our oldest boy, Laviatu, was born while we were at Snow. Um, and then so we, we've kind of spread our kids all over the place. I mean, it's multiply and replenish everywhere you go. And so Snow College... We had our oldest son, Laviatu, um, and then number two and three, uh, I have two girls, Winnie and Lacey Nia. They were both born in uh, Cedar City, and then we ended up coming back uh, when I was at Kearns High School, and Heilala was born. That's my number three girl, and then we moved to Logan, and uh, Lolo was born in Logan, and then we moved to Corvallis, and Hilamani was born in Corvallis, and then we moved back here to Provo, and we had Tavake, who was, who was born here in Provo. So seven, which gives us how many how many boys and how many girls total then? Four boys, three girls. Oldest okay. is a so boy. your last three have all been boys then? Yeah, last three have been boys. So started with a boy, three girls, three boys, you're at seven. Yeah. And counting? No, that's it's a wrap. <laughs> that's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, you know, I would like to have ten, but uh, I just found out that it's really not up to me. So <laughs> wife's, uh, wife says she's good. Well, like you said, you're 100 so. Yeah, 101 now. 101. <laughs> Well, pleasure having you in. Uh, we're excited for the season, which will uh, kick off on the weekend. We hope it's uh, a winning debut with a lot of more wins to come as you got, as you begin your third season on the BYU staff uh, alongside Kalani Satake. Coach Tuiaki, thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thank you All right, me. we've got Nate Mickle coming up next. My former broadcast partner is now back into education in South Bend of all places. So from Notre Dame, Nate Mickle joining us as we return to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. We're brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. More Behind the Mic is coming up after this. BYU Radio. This smart device gives all the right answers about Deseret First Visa Rewards Card. Hey, Des, do I still get rewards even though my Deseret First Visa has no fee? That's right. Can I use those rewards for new golf clubs? That's right. Des... If he uses those rewards for new golf clubs instead of our trip to Hawaii, will he be toast? That's right. Let's face it. When it comes to finances, the best smart device is the Deseret First Visa Rewards Card. That's right. Membership and eligibility required. You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. 
My next guest is a good friend and former broadcast partner on our BYU football radio broadcasts over nine seasons since his playing days at BYU ended back in 2006. Nate Mickle was a yard-gaining, touchdown-scoring sensation during his time as a football player at Hillcrest High School in Idaho Falls. He excelled on both sides of the ball and in other sports. He was all-state when it comes to football on offense, defense, and special teams before embarking on his college career at Snow Junior College, where he started every game as a freshman and was named a team captain as a sophomore. Upon transferring to BYU as a walk-on, an injury redshirt season was followed by two very successful campaigns as a slot receiver and returner. He earned a scholarship for his senior season and left BYU with 50 punt returns and nearly a 10-yard average per return on those punts. He caught almost 60 balls for just under 600 yards and was among the most respected and studious players on the team, earning academic All-American status as a Cougar. And it is in academia that Nate has excelled in his pursuits, having earned a law degree and doctorate, and is now a postdoctoral research and teaching associate at Notre Dame's Mendoza College of Business. In his spare time, Nate served as our radio sideline and locker room reporter for nine years over two separate stints, we're going to try to figure out a way to survive without him here in a few days. Nate is our guest in tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. BYU Alumni chapters help students in need and spread the influence of the Y around the world. Stay connected for good and find your chapter at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Nate Mickle from South Bend, Indiana. Good evening and welcome to Behind the Mic. Greg, I wish I were sitting next to you right now. We, we've we done over 100 games together. Um, man, I, I've said it before, it was a life highlight working with you and Mark. And uh, it's even though I'm not next to you, it's, of course, great to speak with you as always. Like I said, we're going to try and figure this thing out some, uh, some way without you uh, on, on the team. But uh, what do you think about the guy we picked to replace you, Mitchell Jerkins? Yeah, he'll always hold a, you know, he's got a special place in my heart for that Boise State catch. That was just incredible. I knew about the Jurgens twins back in the day where they were coming to the BYU football camp. So I'd, I'd been following those guys, you know, clear back from their Texas high school days. So, uh, yeah, Mitch will do a great job. Tough, smart, uh, quick guy. And I look forward to hearing you guys here this week. Well, I didn't make it part of the job application, but I guess I should have said uh, only slot receivers need apply. Yeah, yeah, not not too much top end speed, but nobody's <laughs> nobody can beat us with quickness. Well, uh, we are going to miss you for sure. And it was nine years, and you did have two stints, and you had two separate stints because uh, schooling got in the way, and and schooling has kind of been, uh, if not in the way, in your life ever since you left BYU. Uh, I gave a brief recap, but uh, tell us a little more about uh, about what you have been doing um, academically since you graduated BYU in two thousand six. Yeah, so I was running a business, and uh, it was a real estate company, and we started it right as the economy tanked, and so that didn't go too well, and I decided I wanted to have a skill that I could charge somebody an hourly wage for if I needed to, so I decided to go to law school, and my real estate partner ended up starting uh, another company, and now he's he's worth millions or tens of millions, so I, that could have been me, uh, but here I am, uh, broke at, at Notre Dame living a great life. But yeah, I went to law school at Stanford and it was the first time that I was able to really just focus on school because in high school and college, you're just doing school to stay eligible. And it, it amazed me how much, how fun it was. And Stanford law school doesn't have grades either. Basically you just have to pass every class. Uh, it's a pass fail model and everybody passes. And it was also at the time that Facebook went public. So just being in Silicon Valley during that time, the energy, the vibe, and then, and being at Stanford, uh, Andrew Luck was there. In fact, I was at a concert one day on campus. It was a uh, uh, th- three. Uh, what was it called? Anyway, I forget the name of the group. Uh, they had some connection to Stanford, and there was some like big bearded, nerdy-looking guy sitting in the back, and everybody was coming in, high-fiving him. I thought, who is that big bearded, nerdy guy? And and it, it took me a little while to realize it was Andrew Luck. So, uh, yeah, just an amazing time out of Stanford. But then I wanted to get a PhD. I just wanted to stay in school the rest of my life because I enjoyed it so much. And at that point, I reached out to you and said, hey, there's a chance I may be coming back to Utah. i get a PhD there. Uh, so I joined the broadcast crew again in, was that 2012, and, and was able to do that for another six years while I was getting the PhD at Utah. Was, it, uh, was the band 311? 
Was it, third was Eye it, Blind. Was Third you. Eye Blind? I was, yeah. I was, it's, either, it's either 311, Third Eye Blind, or Three Dog Night. And I'm guessing it wasn't Three yeah. Dog Night unless <laughs> it was a reunion tour. And I almost went Third Eye Blind off the top. But then I figured, eh, maybe it's 311. Either way, we got that figured out. Um, so uh, life at Stanford, you, you, you talked about how there's no grades that simply pass-fail. But it's, it's, it's demanding. I mean, it's super demanding, right? Uh, well, I mean, if you can get into Stanford, getting in is the hard part, really. So mm-hmm. the acceptance rate is around 5%. <clears throat> but once you get in... Uh, graduating is the easy part, really. So, uh, yeah, you got to do some work. But, I mean, I was working 40 hours a week. I wasn't – you know, the, you go to BYU and you're competing and it's cutthroat and, and you're probably studying, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I had to do a good job. But it, I was able to really just kind of enjoy being part of the community and going up to San Francisco. So uh, – and, and once I realized I wasn't going to be an attorney, that was the other thing. Um like I just took classes that I wanted to learn. So I took like a creative writing class. A lot of my friends were taking improv classes. Uh, so it was really just kind of a magical three years where I was just taking classes just for the sake of learning. I took some sports management classes where we just have the Bay Area executives come in, the 49ers owner and Bob Myers from the Golden State Warriors and Carmen Policy. So uh, yeah, I was just mostly trying to enjoy those three years. You did more than, than stay eligible um, as a college football player. You excelled. You were an academic All-American, as I mentioned. Uh, and, and so you've always been, you know, quote-unquote, uh, a sharp guy. And, uh, and, and the fact that you're still in school uh, means that it's, uh, it's something you, you've taken to and, and really enjoy beyond just something that's kind of a burden or a chore for you. Learning is kind of in your DNA, isn't it? Yeah, so there's nothing that compares to sports. I mean, sports is my first love. Uh, my only real, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, of course, my wife is my only real love. <laughs> Sports is my like first love, and education is uh, it's second. I mean, it's it's not even close to sports, but I do love to learn, and that's the next best thing for me after sports. So, uh, you know, I met the Mendoza College of Business, and it is uh, pretty cool to the the Mendoza College of Business is right next to the stadium. So I I work every day, and then I go work out at the stadium. Uh, just I walk out the door and I'm at the stadium and, and so I was working out there today. So it is kind of, it's great to now combine the two. So uh, I, I got the academic side, but I can still be around sports and athletic programs and and so I do enjoy that aspect of it. And as you know, we 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 we've done trips, football trips to Notre Dame, right? And 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 so that that that's a special journey to make, correct? Yeah, and it was cool when I came out here for my visit. Uh, I have a there's a picture of me, my mom, and my dad. Uh, after the game and my dad passed away in 2013 and it was just really cool like my dad uh, came out here to that game you know we never would have thought that I would have played for BYU Um, and so to be able to come out here to that game that was amazing and then to end up out here uh, on the faculty that it was just a pretty cool moment to like go back to that spot and think like I wonder what my dad would be thinking if he could see me now out here in Notre Dame Uh, he'd have never expected me to be out here twice. Between your between your Stanford academic days and your Notre Dame a- academic days, there was your doctorate, and uh, and we didn't make a big deal about it at the time, but uh, we had a Ute on our broadcast crew for a couple of years there, didn't we? Yeah, it was interesting. I uh, you know I love uh, so many people at Utah, um, but one day I was driving by the stadium. I'd been in my program there for about four years, and you know you, there's the the big U on the scoreboard, and I thought like, huh, I live in in Utah country and it hit me and it was only like a moment later where it hit me not only do I live in Utah country but like you are a Ute <laughs> and it was something that I, I never really you know I, I couldn't embrace in fact um, my son got a free Utah t-shirt and he, he really liked it you know it was a free shirt and I got home and I said hey you got to take that off and he said no dad I like it I said Bennett you are not going to wear that in our home I couldn't do it <laughs> And so I made him take it off and went out and bought him a BYU shirt like the next day. So, I mean, I, you know, I love the people I worked with at Utah and uh, I love so many things about it. But it, it is interesting to have spent five years at Utah and only three years at BYU. But the connection I had to BYU is, you, you know, it's unmatched. Yeah, well, Cougar Nation loves you more. I'll tell you that. Um, uh, so you have a degree from Snow. Yeah. And Associates, right? Yeah. yeah. So a degree, yeah. degree from there, degree from BYU degree from Stanford, law degree, uh, doctoral degree from Utah, 
And now explain what it is that you are doing. I, I, I gave your title a minute ago uh, at, at Notre Dame. Uh, it's uh, Postdoctoral Research and teaching, teaching Associate at the School of Business there. What do you end up with after you're done there, and how long will it take for you to be done there? Yeah, so basically at Notre Dame, I'm a low-paid faculty member, and after I do this for two years, I'll hopefully be a high-paid faculty member, <laughs> either here or somewhere else. So uh, right now, I'm teaching negotiation to the MBA students, but mostly I do research. So I've become really interested in artificial intelligence and why I think we're prone to underestimate the impact that AI is going to have on all of us. It's coming. Um, the computers are taking over the world, and... There's a, a woman out here, a great ethics researcher, that has really become interested in the ethics of AI development and adoption. And so she recruited me to work out here with her. Uh, so for the next two years, we'll mostly just be doing research on artificial intelligence and, and ethical implications of AI development. So that's what I'll be doing here for the next two years. And once the two years are done, you mentioned you hope to be a higher paid faculty. And then teaching is your life from that point on, do you think? Or are you going to get back into business and in the private sector? Or what do you see down the line? Yeah, so down the line, I plan to go to another university or get a job here and just be a, a business professor conducting research. Putting together deals on the side, I'm always trying to put together deals. We've got some going right now in Nashville, Denver, and uh, L.A. We're trying to build some surgery centers. Uh, so always trying to do stuff on the side. But, yeah, the plan is to be just a full-fledged academic for the rest of my life. And uh, it's as one of my friends told me, who's a professor, he said, being a professor is a loophole in society, and I, I kind of feel that way. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk football and family when we come back after the break. But before we go to break, uh, I, I want to note that uh, Nate Mickle, who's our guest right now, it can be found on Twitter at Nate underscore Mickle, M-E-I-K-L-E. So at or it's at Nate underscore Mickle, M-E-I-K-L-E. When you started uh, Twitter, it was probably because of your sideline gig, I think, wasn't it? Pretty associated with that when you got first going? I was living, I was living in Las Vegas, and I just rejoined the broadcast. I was on a summer right. internship there, and, and you just gave me the go-ahead, and you said, hey, you better get on this thing called Twitter. And I was you know, unsure about it, but I thought, well, I'll do it, give it a shot. So yeah, ever since uh, 2012, I've been on, thanks to you. And almost 5,000 followers later, there you are. So he's just under 5,000 followers. And I, I, I mentioned that Twitter handle, so listeners can give you a follow if they're not already. Uh, when you were on the broadcast crew, of course, great content, football-related, wonderful. One of the things you do now uh, on a daily or quasi-daily or multiple day, uh, times during the day basis is uh, you're into uh, tweeting out quotes and and give us a sense of where you're finding these things and, and why day-to-day you feel like these uh, can make a difference. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, since I've started quote uh, tweeting about these quotes and things I'd learn, uh, I've, I've started losing followers at a, at a fast rate, Greg, <laughs> no, so I appreciate it you. It can't be happening. <laughs> uh, but you know, I spend several hours every day reading, and uh, I just there's so much interesting stuff out there. And so every time I come across an idea that I think is interesting, uh, I want to share it with my kids. I, wanna, I, I do share it with my wife. My kids are too young. I want to share it with my friends. Uh, but uh, to, you just can't. And so at least on Twitter – it's a way for me to put it out there. There's so much negativity on Twitter. Uh, I just thought, you know, it's something that I enjoy. It'll be a nice little record for me. I actually like going back through my own feed because it's all of these interesting ideas that I've come across. And, and hopefully, well, I mean, if you, if you like it, you'll keep following. And if you don't, you, you won't. And so that's the great thing about it. it nobody's forced to... Right. Uh, engage with what I'm reading. But yeah, it's just all the interesting ideas that I come across. Well, I think the stuff from Nate resonates with me, at least, and hopefully it does uh, his followers. And the number should be going up, not down. So at Nate <laughs> underscore Mickle, let's get that follower number up and uh, and keep it going in the right direction. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about, uh, yeah, football. Uh, Nate's favorite uh, football memories from BYU, his memories on the sidelines, and his hopes for the 2018 Cougars as well. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. It's brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans. Fans everywhere. More with Nate Mickle right after this. Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Craig Rubel. My guest is former BYU receiver, returner, and academic All-American Nate Mickle tonight on Behind the Mic. 
Before the break, we talked about getting uh, Nate a few more Twitter followers, at Nate underscore Mickle. Now let's get him a couple of books sold. Nate, in addition to everything else you've done and are doing in your life, you are an author. And people can go to Amazon and buy your book entitled Little Miss, A Father, His Daughter, and Rocket Science. It's a few years old by now, but uh, tell us what that book is about and why it might be good for somebody to pick up and buy on Amazon. Yeah, so as a first-time father, uh, one night I'm I'm with my wife and uh, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and all of a sudden it just hit me, like, I haven't really been teaching my daughter to read. Should she read by now? And I know that sounds kind of silly uh, for any parent out there, but I just had no idea. So that night I just started reading up on, like, kids and learning and just went down the rabbit hole of early education and children's literature. And So I just started teaching my daughter to read at age two, and she picked it up real quick. And uh, we started just reading a ton of books, so anywhere from 10 to 20 books every day, whereas before we were reading, you know, I was reading my kid, uh, or my daughter Kyla, maybe a book a day. And I, she got to the point where she just, like, she is a book with legs sticking out of her. <laughs> she has a book all the time. She's, she's eight now. She's read Harry Potter all the way through, like, six or seven times. She started writing her own novels. She's written over like 150 pages. She wakes up every morning. She goes to the computer and she types her stories. Um, but anyway, the the book is about the research on the benefits of reading to kids because uh, you know whether or not you teach your two, three, four year old to read is not so important as just exposing them to good literature and then helping them become readers because kids who read the best stay in school the longest and perform the best. No guarantee of anything in life, but it does improve your odds of succeeding in, acad- in academics. And, and so the book shares the research, and then it also shares all of our favorite books. So I think it's 250 of our favorite kids' mm-hmm. books that we've read. So any parents that are trying to engage with their kids, man, there's no better way than just like great children's books. We do it mostly at meal times, of course, when we wake up in a bedtime. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the Little Miss in a nutshell. Okay, so search under Nathan Mickle or under the title Little Miss, uh, Little Miss, A Father, His Daughter, and Rocket Science, eleven ninety nine currently on Amazon. So, uh, uh, and Nate, uh, proof that um, a- academics can combine with other parts of your life in a very successful way. And, of course, at BYU, that meant football. And you came to BYU as a walk-on in 2004. That became a redshirt year for you. And then 05 and 06 were your playing years. 05, you were still a walk-on. By 06, you were on scholarship. Give, uh, can you give our listeners a sense uh, of, of that transition from walk-on out of snow, well-accomplished walk-on, but not having a scholarship from Bronco until your last year, and uh, what that meant to you to be ultimately at that position? Yeah, real quick, at snow, I showed up as a freshman, and they had a great running back ahead of me, so I wasn't going to play much. But then he got hurt in fall camp, and his name was Elisa Tuiaki. Uh, so he who do, who, got who, who, hurt. Who preceded you on tonight's show? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I listened to that interview. Yeah. Uh, and Aaron Roderick was our uh, running back coach. So yeah, I had, I had a decent freshman year at Snow. And, and my sophomore season, I, I basically lost the whole season to injury. I, I got off to a great start and then was injured my whole sophomore year. So I, I went to BYU, tried out, and made the team. And one thing I could always do in football is make people miss. I could never really outrun people, but I could make people miss. I was a running back. And, and one day in practice, after making the team during fall camp, Croton came over to me and said, hey, uh, you're going to be a good player, but you need a red shirt. You're not ready yet. Uh, you're going to be a good player for us. And that was that was really cool. I was on board. Um, what was especially cool about that is in 2006 at the Vegas Bowl, I ran into Croton. I went and saw the mountain. He, he congratulated me and said, hey, you remember, I told you, you were number 31, and I told you you're going to be a good player. Uh, so that was real cool to close that loop with him. Uh, so yeah, in, in 2000, so I red shirt 2004 as a running back, and like I said, I, I couldn't outrun people and I wasn't very big. So running back wasn't a great spot for me. And I knew that a better spot for me was receiver, but I didn't want to switch because I, I really couldn't catch very well. We had a practice. I ran routes out of the backfield and like four plays in a row, they threw it to me. I was wide open and I dropped four in a row. And so I didn't want to switch, but the coaches came to me when uh, Robert and I was the new coach. He said, Hey, I think, or no, it was, uh, it was Reynolds that said, Hey, we, 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 we want to switch you to wide receiver and it terrified me. And so that summer, I just I quit my job, and all day, every day, I just tried to figure out how to become a receiver. Robert and I brought with him some tape from this this great Texas Tech player who had graduated in like 2003. Uh, turned out to be Wes Welker, who was not Wes Welker that we know until 2007 in the NFL. But I, I studied him, uh, figured out how to catch. 
And then my junior year, uh, my first game, we played Boston College. And, and that was a real big moment because I wondered, you know, I had all this practice, but I wondered, like, once I get in the, you know, the big stage, am, am I still going to be able to catch like I've learned how to do this summer? And my very first play was a swing pass to the right. And I, I picked up four or five yards, but it was Matthias Kiwanuka from Boston College, the NFL guy that that wrapped me around the head and tackled me. And, and it was real cool in that moment to realize, like, oh, I can't catch. And it, according to my memory, I had one drop my whole career. It was against Wyoming after I'd kind of got a, a mild concussion, I think. And I, to me, that was just amazing that I actually could learn how to catch after all those years of being a running back and afraid uh, of being a wide receiver. Um, I'll just keep going, Greg, because no, a couple I, more things. I, I, I wish our time together weren't so short. I've got about two and a half, three minutes left with you before I break and, and end the show. But um, if, if, if it's possible to distill a playing memory that stays with you, a sideline memory that stays with you, and then a bit of a forecast for year three of the Kalani Satake era, that'll probably take us to pretty close to the end. Yeah, so one, I want to share my favorite story. I was injured my entire offseason of my senior year, basically. And that's the worst feeling in the world when you're hurt going into your senior year. I missed the entire offseason basically because of it was like eight or nine hamstring pulls. And right before the Arizona game, Dave Nixon and Brian Kill gave me a blessing. And it was the first time I'd felt peace in eight months and was able to make it through the entire season up until the New Mexico game and pull my hamstring there and, and then miss the Utah game. But that was such a cool moment for me to be able to finish that well to have that piece and then finish my senior season broadcast. I mean, I, what I like to do is talk for hours with you about all our games, but the 07 to 09 max and mm. Harvey and Dennis and seeing Austin get hundred yard games and you know, KVN and Ziggy was incredible and, and Taysom Hill running all over Texas and Tanner Mangum at Nebraska. And, and then Taysom and Jamal again in 2016 was amazing. Uh, I'd, I'd love, like I said, you, me, and Mark. Hopefully, we can get together again and just rehash some of these games. Out physicaling Michigan State uh, a few years ago in East Lansing, uh, and, I, and I guess the last thing was the forecast, right? Yeah. I can't wait to see Grimes. I love Grimes. He was he was the coach there all the time. I was there. Um, we're going to be hard nosed. We're going to be sound up front. And uh, I think we're going to play real strong, competitive football. You know, a few games last year, we just weren't even competitive at times. And I don't think we're going to see that this year. I think we're going to be a good, hard-nosed, tough, physical team. Could have had you for an hour tonight easily, Nate. Uh, thanks for doing this with me this evening. We're going to miss you like crazy. Mitch will do a great job, but you set a really high standard. And uh, he's got big shoes to fill. Uh, one of my favorite people in the whole world and one of my best friends. And uh, you're just a wonderful person and great father and husband and educator. And uh, I admire the heck out of you. Thanks for being with me tonight. Everything you said, ditto, Greg. Love you, Mark. And I'm going to see you guys in Wisconsin. We'll see you then. Thanks, Nate. Nate was our guest in tonight's Catching Up with the Cougars segment brought to you by BYU alumni. Want to help BYU students but don't know how? You can with BYU alumni chapters. Find the chapter that fits you at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Back to wrap up tonight's show in a minute here on BYU Radio. Well, BYU fans, thank you for tuning in tonight to Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. Pleasure being with you tonight, as always. Our thanks to BYU defensive coordinator and defensive line coach Elisa Tuiaki and my good buddy, former BYU sideline guy and receiver Nate Mickle. Our thanks as well to Terry South, our show producer, to Don Shaline, Sean Fay, Sean O'Neill, the rest of the crew here at BYU Radio. Looking forward to Cougar football this weekend. BYU at Arizona. It's only three days away. Have a great night. This has been Behind the Mic on BYU Radio. So long. You have been listening to Behind the Mic with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Listen to the podcast at BYUradio.org.